0: They are our 11 Warriors. Yes, they are the 11 Warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn
1: dudes you're ever going to be around.
0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom and Garrett Hodge on this week's episode as we are going to get into breaking down all things recruiting, all things signing day as it is of course the first day of the early signing period and a very busy day for ohio state and college football programs all around the country as players officially submit their national letters of intent and get ready to start their careers uh, across college football programs next season later in the show, we'll get into a little bit of peach bowl talk as well I do want to start out this week's show by sending our well wishes to Avery Henry, Ohio State freshman offensive tackle who announced on Monday night that he had been diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer. Certainly, I think I can speak for all of us that when when you see news like that, it really puts things in perspective and you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, football and and act like it's the most important thing in the world, but I think When you hear news like that, it really does keep in perspective that there's things that are so much bigger than football. And so I know that we're all we're all hoping the best for Avery, and you know, really hoping that you know his fight goes very well and that he's able to make a full recovery and that we get to see him play for the Buckeyes one day. Because you know, just something that no 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 19 year old should should have to deal with.
1: Yeah, that that news was just you know heart wrenching to to see there, and you know, wishing Avery Henry all the best. And man, it would be absolutely amazing, you know, if he if he beats it and and you know is able to return to the field, what a story that would be. I know that's what he wants and is gonna fight this thing tooth and
0: nail. Let's get into talking about first of all, we're gonna start with the 2023 class. Obviously, some big news in the 2024 class over the past week with. Dylan Rayola's decommitment and Jeremiah Smith's commitment. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But let's start with the 2023 class, because that's really the news of the day with the Buckeyes officially signing their 2023 class, or at least the, the vast majority of it. And Garrick, I'll start with you. Just when you look at this class as a whole, just what are kind of your initial thoughts, overall thoughts on the class that Ohio State has signed today? I would say
2: it's a pretty good, but not great class looking at it from a 30,000 foot view. Obviously, it's very highlighted by a plethora of talented wide receivers that Brian Hartline continually should probably get a raise for bringing in still. You know, Brandon Innis is a five star player no matter what recruiting service you use. And then Carnell Tate and Noah Rogers are five stars depending on what recruiting service ranking you go by. And certainly I've seen Carnell in person for sure. And I think that anyone that says that that guy isn't a five-star talent, I I don't really know what they're looking at, but, and then, you know, Bryson Rogers is, would be a lot of big 10 teams is a crown jewel of their recruiting class. And he's the fourth ranked guy in that group. So he kind of gets lost there, but I really think that Bryson's going to be a good receiver on the outside. If he gets a chance and kind of develops into that role and Kind of has a sneaky route running ability. And I mean, there's a reason that Heartline wanted this guy so early and that, you know, schools like Alabama were also trying to get in on him. So I certainly think that wide receiver is the strength. You know, obviously there could have been a lot more premium talent at some of the other positions, you know. Losing out to Damon Wilson to Georgia is not ideal. Losing Keon Keely to Alabama is not ideal, especially when it felt like they had a realistic chance with those guys, getting them to visit multiple times on campus. Of course, you would have loved to have Caleb Downs, who's a generational safety talent, in my opinion, and inevitably went to Alabama in July and then you know considered Ohio State at the end for a little bit by coming to the Ohio State-Michigan game, but ultimately didn't see enough to what he needed to see to consider flipping from Alabama. So again, I think it's a very good, not great class because it's not necessarily having that like premium talent that would put it in that top five ranking in the overall twenty four seven national class rankings. So, but you know, I still think that there's a good group of core players in here that you can build around. But maybe it's from an Ohio State perspective it's a little less than some fans thought they might get when they went on that, you know, terrific run of wide receiver recruiting in June where they nailed their top three targets in three consecutive days. So, you know, after that stretch, it just kind of seemed like they were set up to finish at least in the top three in the national rankings. And now they're set up for a top 10 finish most likely.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at the recruiting rankings and you see Alabama and Georgia as the top two schools. And then you see Ohio state a little further down the rankings. I think that's where some of the angst is going to come from the Ohio state fan base, because, you know, those are the two schools that have kind of been the dominant teams of this sport here in recent years and Ohio state's class. while well, good. I mean, a lot of good players in this class. I mean, if you, I mean, you look at this class as a whole, there's only one player in the class who's a, a a free star recruit that's miles Walker. Who's a pretty highly rated free free star offensive tackle. And everyone else in the class is either a four star or five star. And so the, there's a lot of talent in this class. There's, there's a lot of players in this class who are good foundational pieces for the future of, of Ohio state. I, I think what this class lacks outside of a wide receiver position a little bit is just star power, that eye-popping five-star guy that you're like, this guy's for sure going to be a game changer at the next level. And now full disclosure, I I will say right now, we are recording this on Tuesday at at the time of recording this unclear whether Mateo Uyenglele was going to go to Ohio state or USC. And so we were, recorded this with kind of the idea that he could go either way by the time you're listening to this you're probably going to know where he's going but at the time we recorded this we didn't know where he's going so we're we're we're, we're just going to kind of proceed forward without knowing exactly which way that has gone by the time you're listening to this but you know you, you take a look at the class you know as as of the time that we're recording this seven top 100 prospects in the class. Brandon Innes, Noah Rogers, Luke Montgomery, Carnell Tate, Jason Moore, Calvin Simpson Hunt, Jelani Furman. Could be those guys, could be anybody in the class. I'll start with you, Griffin. Which recruit in this class do you expect to make the biggest immediate impact?
1: I mean, the, the thing is with the wide receivers is that the, the talent is so stacked up right away, right? I mean, even with a five-star guy like Brandon Ennis, there, there's still so many guys in that room right now. And think about, you know, all the receivers in last year's class, and maybe none of them are Brandon Ennis per se, but there are still a lot of names. And, and so while, you know, that might be the easy answer, given that he is the the lone five-star, maybe you do look at at some of these other guys, you know, perhaps – a Calvin Simpson hunt, uh, you know, a a DB like that, you know, you look at a guy like Jelani Thurman as well at tight end, given, you know, kind of uncertainty at that position for Ohio state as well. Although there, there are are still some names in that position group, but yeah, I also agree with Garrett that like Carnell Tate from, from what I've seen, that certainly looks like a five-star type of guy to me. Obviously he, he slid a little bit, you know, down there now he's ranked under Noah Rogers, even in the two, four, seven composite rankings, but but yeah, one of those guys, I would say. Yarick. i would say a
2: cornerback most likely because of the on-field product right now you know there's a lot of fluctuating and rotating in and out of the cornerback position right now and if it holds true to form next year based off of the last couple of years they'll probably roll the vets at the beginning of the year and then if they struggle like we've seen some vets struggle the past couple years they will give freshmen their shot as we've seen you know Jair Brown get some reps this year J.K. Johnson even though he's not a true freshman has gotten in there when maybe some didn't expect him to at the beginning of the year so there will be opportunities for guys such as the Calvin Simpson hunt the Jermaine Matthews of the world that if they're standing out in practice let's say they lose their black stripe and early august workouts or whatever and they're kind of turning heads i think they're going to get a chance to contribute early mostly because it's one of their biggest positions of needs and a place where they may be a little thin and also i think that calvin simpson hunt and jermaine matthews are pretty close to college ready prospects at the moment so you combine all those factors and i think there's a recipe for success there jelani thurman i i i do love where he's at as a receiving tight end right now but tight ends are just so hard to project from a college standpoint that, you know, ideally you'd like to give them one to two years in the strength program and getting acclimated to college because so much is asked of them from a blocking perspective against sometimes helping ship defensive ends that, you know, have been there for three years. And that's a lot to ask of an 18 year old to come in and do that right away. But, but yeah, but considering what Griffin was saying, the uncertainty at the tight end room right now, I think that if he's shown that he's able to hand assisting in on that blocking scheme and obviously he would be a pretty versatile pass catcher right away he could make a difference right away too but overall I'm going to go with either Calvin Simpson Hunt or Jermaine Matthews as my pick to contribute the earliest on the field
0: yeah everything Griffin said about the wide receivers is true but I'm still going to go with Brandon Ennis because Brandon Ennis to me is is one of the absolute best players in this class. I, I think that he's going to be a future star wide receiver at, at Ohio State, and I think he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be hard to keep off the field for long. Now, saying that, I would envision that you know his first year probably going to look more like what we saw like last year from Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka, where. You know, I I don't necessarily expect him to be a starter next year. That That's assuming Julian Fleming comes back, assuming that he, he's back and they have all three of those guys back. I wouldn't expect him to be a starter. I wouldn't expect him to be a guy that's playing a ton of snaps necessarily. But I think when you just look at the depth at that position behind Marvin Harrison, Nemeco Buka, Julian Fleming, none of the other receivers coming back have really played much this year. So I think the door is wide open. For a guy like Brandon Dennis or Carnell Tate or Noah Rogers or Bryson Rogers, I, I think the door is wide open for those guys to to come in and have a chance to immediately compete to be that four for fifth receiver. And if I'm going to pick a guy to do that, Brandon Dennis to me is that guy.
1: Guys, just to just to you know kind of touch back on the point about the star power and the you know the, the lack of five stars, things like that. You know, obviously we're pending some big decisions still at the time of recording. Like we mentioned. But I, as as I'm looking here, I believe if Ohio State was to only have one five-star in this class, it would be the first time since 2016 that that would be the case for an Ohio State recruiting class. Wow.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine that a top 10 recruiting class is a down year for Ohio State, but certainly appears that way. And well, it probably wouldn't be that way if some of the more, some of the decommitments hadn't happened. I think they're, they've had four if memory serves correctly. So, you know, they've certainly had to do some mixing and matching with plan B's and pivoting to other options after the decommitments of Lockwood and Ejon Johnson and all that other stuff. But yeah, 2016, that's a pretty, I don't want to say alarming statistic because the sky isn't falling. It's still a top 10 class, but I would say it's a telling statistic for more of the good, not great description I would give this class.
0: One, one thing that's certainly important about this class is that Ohio State has done a good job of, of locking down the top talent in the state. You look at the top eight ranked players from the state of Ohio in the twenty twenty three class, seven of them are going to be Buckeyes. The only one who's not is Brennan Vernon, who is going to Notre Dame. The others: Luke Montgomery, Jermaine Matthews, Malik Hartford, Arvell Reese, Joshua Padilla, Austin Sierravel, Will Smith. All of them are going to be coming to Ohio State, so certainly that's something that's important for Ohio State to be be locking down the top talent in the class. Now, you know, I think the other side of that is, again, if if you look outside of a wide receiver position, you know, I don't know if there's quite as many big time. National wins in this class, as we've seen, maybe in some past years. So I think that's why when we're kind of talking about, you know, not not being quite as impressive a class as some of the others we've seen in recent years. But you know, again, if you you take the wide receivers out of the equation, there's not as many of those guys that were just like huge wins, like they beat out all these other major programs to go get a guy from outside the state. And so you know, I think that's why you know this class, at least by Ohio State standards maybe a little bit underwhelming, but there's still a lot of talented players in this class. A a lot of, a lot of guys who have the potential to be great college football players. And, you know, I think that kind of leads to the next question. I mean, we started out by talking about some of the, you know, higher ranked guys, but who's maybe a sleeper or lower ranked prospect in this class who you guys think ends up becoming a star at Ohio state.
1: Griffin, you go first. Yeah. You're talking about some of those in-state guys. I mean, a guy like Joshua Padilla, I've seen in person. I mean, he seems very technically sound and things like that, that he's, he's ranked the number 218 player in the country. So not exactly, you know, a super high caliber recruit, but, but I've liked what I've seen from him in person at multiple camps. I know Will Smith as well. We we got to see him a whole bunch during the camp season over the past summer. And he was standing out a lot as well. What where is he ranked now? As I scroll through here, yeah, number yeah, two. got his fourth star. Yeah, he does have the fourth star, but you know, still number two, sixty-one, in kind of the back few in terms of how guys stack up in that class. He stood out, I thought, during the camp season as well.
2: I would say Jermaine Matthews, but at this point, I don't really know if he's underrated because he started in the late three hundreds and now he's in the top 150 prospects nationally so he's kind of gotten that bump already so i will instead turn to my answer and say austin searville he's in the 200s right now and i think he's already got the size at six foot five 320 pounds gonna play guard at the next level but That guy has a total mean streak whenever he's on the field. And that was evident week two, especially when I saw him play Lakota West. He almost got into a little scrum with Malik Hartford after a play because Malik, you know, was talking a little smack and austin took exception to that after a play and kind of gave him a shove right afterward and those guys are obviously friends off the field and they're going to be teammates and it was all water under the bridge very quickly after the game but it just sort of spoke to the fact that austin does not care who you are when you're on the field lining up against him he is coming after you and that guy has got the total mean streak that every Ohio State fan wants to see in an offensive lineman. And he's also willing to do anything the team asks. He That game, he played all three phases. He played tackle, he played defensive end, and he was the team's punter and kickoff specialist. So really kind of speaks that he's willing to do whatever it takes for him to be great.
0: I'm gonna go with Caden McDonald, who's only ranked as the 278th overall prospect in the class. But you're looking at a guy who's a a big, powerful nose tackle. I think's also got some pretty good quickness for for his size. You know, I think there's been kind of a a clamoring maybe from Ohio State fans to see more guys like him recruited the, the, those really big kind of defensive tackles. And so I think he he's a guy who can. You know, fill a need for them. I think he's a he's a guy who's going to have a potential to contribute early in his Ohio State career and be be a disru- really disruptive player for the Buckeyes by the end of his career. So he's a guy that I look at who's n- not the highest rated prospect in the in the class, but a guy who I won't be surprised at all if he ends up outperforming his recruiting ranking.
1: And guys, how about the quarterback position for Ohio State in this class? Of course, Ohio State just last week flipped former Washington commit Lincoln Akeenholes. and Garrick, I know you've been talking to several people, you know, th- that know his game well, perhaps even talked to him recently. What what do you, what can you tell us about him and what Ohio State is getting in the what is he ranked here, fellas? The number 205 ranked player in the class, a four-star quarterback, the number 14 quarterback in the country?
2: Well, he's kind of got a rankings bump too, because he was in the mid three hundreds, if I remember correctly, not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. But honestly, just from looking at the tape, you know, I I spoke earlier about Ohio State having to mix and match after some decommitments and, you know, have having to figure some stuff out. Brock Len, their commitment since July, I don't think really factors into that equation. I think that this is a clear upgrade. Brock Len had a very disappointing senior year by his standards from a statistical standpoint. And that was on top of a disappointing elite eight performance and obviously well wishes to him as he goes to Florida state. But I think that Ohio state kind of soured on him as the process developed. And there is a reason that Corey Dennis was going to South Dakota in the middle of October when Ohio state was on their off week, when Glenn was already committed to watch a quarterback from South Dakota, because this guy was just tearing it up and ohio state fans are gonna love this description lincoln is a pure dual threat quarterback and i don't just mean like you know he is able to run for a first down here and there this is a legit 1000 yard rusher in in high school in addition to you know putting up crazy passing numbers as well now i will say having watched south dakota high school football for two years his competition is not exactly division one caliber for the most part the state usually puts out a very handful of division one guys per year but he's a multi-sport athlete and he could have gone division one in basketball could have gone division one in baseball is going very high division one in football So that just kind of speaks to the athlete that he is i spoke with his coach earlier last week and they said that um, he was so talented out in open space that they tried to create 10 to 20 designed runs for him a game that on top of him throwing about 20 to 35 passes a game so their offense was completely designed around Lincoln's skill set and sometimes as good as he is as a pocket passer i think he's better throwing on the run and he throws a deep ball with a lot of touch now I think the one thing that he'll have to adjust to when he gets to Ohio State is that his windows will be a lot tighter and his internal clock will have to speed up a little bit. He had a lot more time to improvise facing South Dakota defenses than he's going to at the next level. But I think from just a pure talent standpoint, you have all the makings of a potential quarterback that could blossom and thrive in this offense one day.
0: Now we're talking about quarterbacks. Should we talk about Dylan Rayola? Because... That was without a doubt probably the biggest news of the past week as he decommitted from Ohio State on Saturday. Really something that developed pretty quickly there that I think certainly blindsided you know Ohio State to to learn that, you know, he was not going to be holding true to his commitment. And certainly not the first time we've seen this happen at the quarterback position where somebody commits to Ohio State early, but ends up decommitting later and, and and going elsewhere. But, you know, this one, of course, hol- holds a little more water. This one's a little bit tougher pill to swallow, given that Dylan Rayola is the number one overall prospect in the 2024 class. Someone that Ohio State was really looking to build that 2024 class around, and now they've got to go back to the drawing board and really have to make up ground in terms of trying to get a quarterback in that 2024 class because they had been all in on Rayola. They really hadn't been recruiting any other quarterbacks so once you know, once they felt like they were going to be able to get Dylan Rayola. And so, you know, Garrick, I know you wrote about it on Saturday, but where does Ohio State go from here? What, what do they need to do now to – you can't necessarily replace Rayola because of how highly – touted a recruit he is, but w- what do you do to move forward and fill that hole? Well, you have to try to
2: replace him as hard and borderline impossible as it may be. You got to try. I mean, no one's going to feel sorry for you at Ohio state. So the, the train keeps moving as if the saying goes, but the good news is, and there's not a whole lot of good news that comes from this, but the good news is that he did this, you know, a year out from the 2024 signing day, instead of two weeks out from the signing day so while there will be a little bit of scrambling involved it's not like it's all hell broke loose all hands on deck scenario they'll have a little bit of time to evaluate their options and how quickly they'll move is um probably open to interpretation depending on how what feedback they get back from sort of their other top targets back when they were still courting rayola and obviously the top of those would be jaden davis which the the great March debate in 2022 was, would Ryan Day prefer Jaden Davis or Dylan Royola? And obviously, we got our answer in Dylan royola that those two were pretty mutually interested in each other. But Jaden Davis at the time was very interested at Ohio State and now has been crystal balled to Michigan plenty. And some had already thought that he had made a decision by now, but he clearly hasn't. I... I'm sure Ohio State has already circled back with Jaden. I'm not entirely sure how receptive he'll be because he clearly was passed over once by them. I don't know if he's the type of kid to where he will hold a grudge and you know not be receptive, or if he's like, hey, it's business, I get it, and I'll consider Ohio State if I feel it's the best school for me. So it'll be pretty interesting to see how that plays out. Another passer they were interested in is Colin Hurley, which maybe they would have pursued him a lot more if because originally he was a 2025 when they offered him but now he's a 2024 after he committed to lsu and reclassified to the 2024 class when they recommitted so maybe they didn't pursue him as heavily once they learned that he was reclassifying to 2024 because they obviously had royal in the fold but i mean griffin you watched him dan you watched him we all watched this guy at camp and from a pure arm strength standpoint, he's one of the most talented quarterbacks I've seen slinging the ball at a long time. So he definitely has the raw makeup of everything you want in a quarterback. And he definitely could be one that Ohio State tries to re-engage a relationship with and see if they can flip him in the end. But, you know, and then there's the rest of these quarterbacks that I wrote about, and there's six more of them, you can read on 11warriors.com. It's all just basically trying to connect the dots and see what makes the most sense. And from a relationship standpoint and a schematical standpoint. And honestly, for all we know, maybe the quarterback they end up taking in 2024 is either someone that is not on anyone's radar yet. Or is perhaps maybe a transfer portal QB? They could always go that direction, depending on how the quarterback competition for this year shakes out and what their quarterback room looks like going forward. So there's really a lot of unknowns at 2024 of quarterback at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think it was extra surprising for Rayola because he had really been like Mr. Ohio State for a while in terms of really getting involved on social media with trying to recruit guys, posting stuff all the time. And then you know when you saw he he'd kind of gone you know stop posting stuff about Ohio state took the stuff out of his his bio and everything like that you know a lot, a lot of people were hoping that that didn't actually mean anything but we found out pretty quickly that it did but you know no immediate you know commitment elsewhere for Rayola so we will watch how that all plays out but but another thing that was interesting about the timing there was that it was just a couple days after the commitment of Jeremiah Smith who is the number 1 overall not overall, but number one wide receiver in the 2024 class, a five-star prospect. So when you looked at that, it was like, man, another just absolutely phenomenal tool and, you know, playmaker for Rayola to, to pair up with in that class. But then just a couple of days later, Rayola's out of there.
2: Yeah, I, I know the obvious question that comes from that will be, oh, Will is gone. Will that impact Jeremiah Smith's commitment? And While I don't want to speak with 100% certainty, I don't necessarily think that the two are intertwined, and I'm sure that they were very communicative with him if that was all transpiring in that whole week, if that situation was going on. but. I think I even said it in an article, the recruiting gods giveth, the recruiting gods taketh away. So they taketh away Dylan Royola and they giveth Jeremiah Smith. And, you know, we've spoken a lot on this podcast about wide receiver recruiting and the wonderful job that Brian Hartline has done, amassing talent. And Jeremiah Smith may be better than any of the four that we just discussed about. And obviously we glossed about Brandon innocent for very good reason, because that guy's about as college ready as a prospect as you're going to get for a guy that's a senior, but Jeremiah Smith may even be better than him. And the crazy thing about it is between Jeremiah Smith Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes, they all play for the same seven-on-seven team. So these guys are all pretty well-connected. And you know that that photo of them all in a Buckeye uniform was making the rounds on social media after he committed. But I had a chance to speak with Jeremiah Smith's high school coach last week, which to me was pretty telling because I've done a lot of coach interviews in the two years I've been here at 11 Warriors. And a question I'll usually always ask, mostly because they've watched these guys a lot more than I have. And, you know, not that I haven't watched these guys a lot, but I always am looking for like, all right, what's one area that you think that they could do just a little bit better before they get to college or when they get to college, this will probably be something that they need to work on. And every college or every high school coach I've asked that to, they've usually given me a solid answer. Jeremiah's coach literally paused for five seconds and went, honestly man nothing i i don't know he's he's special and then i asked him i followed up with that because he just was essentially speechless is this the best wide receiver you've ever coached and he paused for 10 more seconds and he's like man you're gonna get me in trouble because i've had a couple nfl dudes but yeah he's top two and i don't think that that's lip service like this guy is a very matter-of-fact speaker and I was just sort of dumbfounded that no, no coach that I've ever talked to has told me that there's nothing that one of their players has that they could improve on once they get to college, and this was the first time I had ever heard that. And the tape backs that up. I mean, this guy is making Odell Beckham-esque one-handed catches in the end zone in state title games. His catch radius is off the charts. Six foot three, a crisp route runner. What he does with his bending of his hips, running his routes already is incredible. And, you know, obviously the way the current college structure is, you always got to never think that they're truly committed until you see that national letter of intent roll in on national signing day, no matter who it is in this landscape, because you never know. But I think Ohio State should consider itself very fortunate they're able to get a prospect of his caliber because there's been so many good wide receivers at Ohio state over the past couple of years. And yet Jeremiah Smith might be better than any of them.
0: With Rayola now out of a class, three players committed to Ohio state's 2024 class pose being Jeremiah Smith, Indiana offensive tackle, Ian Moore and in-state safety slash linebacker, Garrett Stover. Garrett, when you look at this class right now, obviously a year away from their own signing day, but only three guys committed. Is this a solid start or do the Buckeyes need to pick up the pace here? I would say it's a solid start. I think I would have been a lot more
2: inclined to say that it's a terrific start had, you know, rail and not decommitted. obviously, as, as we said, we'll always have those more than 48 hours where Ohio state had the number one and number two players in 2024 class committed at one point but I I still think overall this is a solid start you have the best wide receiver prospect in the nation committed you have Ian Moore who keeps gradually rising every week in the recruiting rankings and is a top 60 prospect and I think is a true offensive tackle prospect which is you know something Ohio State sorely needs and has proven to be a struggle to recruit in the past and yet they've already got that guy in the fold and you know you never want to say anyone's 100% committed, even though they may declare it on social media, but that guy's about close to locked in as you can get at this point. And then Garrett Stover, it's always good, like we said earlier, to take care of the in-state guys. And I mean, Garrett Stover was never going to go anywhere else. He visited you know, the school six times or whatever it was this year, so... It was probably good for everyone that he just went ahead and committed. But yeah, I I think there's a solid foundation here. And I think that there's some still big name targets on the board that Ohio State has a very realistic chance at getting. The first one that comes to mind is safety KJ Bolden down in Georgia. I think that they're going to be a big player for him and his recruitment. So obviously getting him to essentially do what you could not in the 2023 cycle and land the top safety that you've been coveted and been recruiting for multiple years would be a heck of a start and then you also got to remember that Ohio has two in-state cornerbacks that are right there and that Ohio State would be the favorite to get in Bryce West who is now a five-star recruit by many recruiting services and Aaron Scott who is in the low 100s in the rankings so yeah in terms of positions of need it seems that they have the i think my way too early predictions because we all have all these articles coming out of way too early heisman favorites and way too early a college football playoff favorites yada 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 i'm gonna go ahead and make a way too early prediction and say that ohio state's 2024 recruiting class will be better than its 2023 recruiting class
0: Eric's just doing this to mess with me. Cause he knows I hate the phrase way too early. So he just wanted to say it as, as many times as he could to try to trigger me.
2: You know, we, we, we don't have a video feature on this real pod Wednesdays, but if you all could only see the, just look of disappointment and despair that Dan was saying after I said way too early, three times in a sentence.
0: Obviously, the other big topic right now is the transfer portal and potentially some big news coming later today in the transfer portal as Johnny Cornelius, many consider to be the top offensive tackle in the transfer portal this year, will make his decision at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Ohio State in the mix there, along with Nebraska. Oregon and Tennessee. Again, as, as at the time of recording, not really sure which way that one's going to go, but it does seem like Ohio State has a shot there and and certainly someone who Ohio State could really use because as as you just mentioned a couple minutes ago, Garrick, you know, offensive tackle recruiting's been a bit of a struggle for Ohio State in recent years and you know, you just look at the outlook for next year with the likelihood that both Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are going to be gone after this season. Ohio state's going to need two starting offensive tackles for next year. We anticipate that Josh Fryer will likely be one of those tackles, but I think there's definitely a need to bring in somebody with more experience to, to give Ohio state, you know, more certainty, more assurance at tackle. And and we've seen that just based on the offers Ohio State has made over the last week. They've offered three offensive tackles and that we know of. And there might be more silent offers that were not announced, but we do know that they offered three offensive tackles over the past week. One of them, Jeremiah Byers from UTEP has already committed to Florida State. Dylan Wade from Tulsa has already said he's going to decide between USC and and Auburn. And so really, Cornelius is definitely the the guy they want there. If they don't get him, then I would anticipate that more offers will go out because uh, Ohio State definitely wants to bring in a transfer offensive tackle in this class. But, you know, I think for everyone out there who's getting a little bit antsy because. Right now, Ohio State has only made one transfer addition, and that's a long snapper, a former Arizona State long snapper, John Furlman. I think Ohio State fans certainly want to see some additions at position players. And, you know, I, I don't think, you know, as we've talked about before, Ohio State's not going to be a team that's going to bring in 10 transfers. That's just not the way that they've operated. And I don't think that's something that they want to change right now, but we do know that when when you talk about positions of need, as Ryan Day did a week ago, offensive tackle is the position of need right now for Ohio State in the transfer portal. And so if Ohio State can land a Johnny Cornelius tonight, I think that would be a big win for the Buckeyes.
2: Well, they better because I don't know where else they go if they don't land them, especially considering that their other two options are... One is for sure headed elsewhere and the other has already essentially ruled Ohio State out publicly. So yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. The Cornelius the last visit he took was Ohio State and I know a lot of fans were freaking out that he had he posted a photo of the Tennessee visit, but he didn't post one of Ohio States. But fear not he heard you and he posted a visit of his, a photo of his Ohio state visit. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. It doesn't seem like anyone has a great pulse on where that one's trending right now. So we'll just kind of have to see how it develops.
1: What are you guys trying to say that you don't like the idea of a, a Zen Mahalski starting a tackle for Ohio state or a Donovan Jackson moving to tackle?
0: Well, I well, mean, I, I'm sure I yeah. could adjust, but. well, And I, and I think it's just a fact that you look at what Ohio state has done. I don't, I don't think this is about, taking a shot at any, any players. It's just about the fact that uh, Ohio state has offered three offensive tackles, which tells you it's a position they really want to address. You know, I think you look at some other positions that Ohio state is maybe testing the waters of a portal like cornerback. And, you know, I think you look at cornerback, we know that they've talked to central Cypress. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of buzz there about, him being likely to come to Ohio State, but I, I I look at cornerback being more of a position where if there's a really good guy in the portal, a guy who you know can come in and start next year and be an upgrade, go get him. I, I don't think that cornerback is a position where they should bring a guy in just to bring a guy in. You know, tight end might be a similar position. But we do know that Ohio State hosted I might butcher his name, CJ Dupree, who visited this past weekend for Maryland, a guy who I was impressed by when we were at Maryland this year, he made some plays against Ohio State. And now he's in the portal deciding between Ohio State and Alabama, which tells you he's very good because when Ohio State and Alabama both want you, that means you're really good. And and it sounds like Ohio State's got a chance there. And so, you know, I think that's a move that would make a lot of sense for Ohio State, especially if Caden Stover goes pro to, you know, bring in somebody who's an established tight end, who's got some playmaking ability. But again, you know, I think that's probably a position where it's more you know, if there's a guy out there who's worth getting, you're going to go get him. It's not necessarily a position that you're going to get a guy just to get a guy because, you know, they, they do have, you know, a good amount of returning tight ends with Joe Royer and Sam Hart, Bennett Christian. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else there, too. And, oh, G. Scott and Jelani Furman coming in. You know, that's, you know, that's five tight ends on the roster for next year. So they don't necessarily need to go get a tight end. But if there's somebody out there who they think can be an upgrade, then they should go get that guy. So I think they are kind of looking at that approach there at certain positions, but I think offensive tackle, that's really the one position where they're like, we need to go get somebody just, just because, I mean, Josh Fryer is really the only backup tackle that's played at all. So, you know, Zen Mahalski's a guy, you know, he's still developing, you know, you know, there may be a few other guys and, you know, the system that, you know, have long term potential, whether that's, you know, a Ben Christman or, you know, Luke Montgomery coming in next year, you know, I mean, Miles Walker coming in next year, but they just don't have, you know, any real proven depth there. So I think, you know, offensive tackle certainly stands out as the position where o- Ohio State does need to make a move into portal.
1: Guys, fair or foul that for Ohio State being in the CFP picture right now, obviously that kind of, We've seen a couple of guys hit the transfer portal and things like that, but you know theoretically there are other guys that could hit the transfer portal once the season actually winds up. You know, if house, State was playing in the New Year Six Bowl or something like that, it's a little bit different there. And does that you know make things harder for the staff to actually know where they stand at every position when you're evaluating guys to bring into the transfer portal?
0: I would think that they probably have a pretty good idea of who will enter the portal after the CFP now there could always be surprises, but you know, I would guess that there probably are guys who have told Ohio state, they plan to enter the portal, but haven't an announced it yet. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Cause it's like, it's tough because, you know, for those guys who are waiting, you know, there's not going to be a whole lot of time between, I mean, especially if they make the national championship game, but you know, even if, you know, if, you know, regardless of what happens to Peach Bowl, if a guy en- enters after the Peach Bowl, then there's not a whole lot of time between then and the next semester. And so, I think you know, there's certainly probably going to be another wave of transfer exits after spring practice as well. But you know, my guess would be there's probably a few guys. I don't, I don't know who, but there's probably a few guys who have told Ohio State they intend to transfer, but are waiting until after the CFP to actually make that move. guess I'll go ahead and jump in here because <laughs> we all wait. We all wait for each other to, 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 to say something here, but you know, a, a, a big day of interviews at Ohio state last Wednesday, where we got to talk to a whopping 20 players, which is a rarity for an Ohio state interview session, but all of us were there and had the opportunity to talk to the vast majority of Ohio State's starters and and, and top players as they you know, looked ahead to the upcoming Peach Bowl, which, you know, it's funny, we've spent, you know, this entire show talking about the future, but Ohio State's playing in a college football playoff game in 10 days. So we shouldn't look, we shouldn't look totally past that because that's a, that's a pretty big deal, of course. And, you know, I say that to say, well, the biggest news of of the day, I would say last week was also about the future. As Steel Chambers confirmed, he will be back at Ohio State for another season, which is good news for next year's defense. Certainly, I think also a reason why we aren't hearing Ohio State connected to any transfer linebackers because, you know, Tommy Eikenberg said he has not made up his decision yet. But, you know, even if he were to leave, you know, if guys like Cody Simon and and CJ Hicks and, you know, Reed Carrico, you know, Gabe Powers just lost his black stripe on, on Tuesday. There, there's a lot of guys there in the pipeline where, you know, they, they shouldn't have a big problem replacing one starting linebacker. I think if they had had to replace two starting linebackers, that would have been a major concern. But I think having to replace just one, that's, that's not something that is a big deal. Cause I think there's a lot of guys waiting in the wings who are certainly going to be looking to earn bigger roles next year. To going ahead to you know you 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 guys, what maybe stood out the most to you guys from Media Day last week?
1: Well, first of all, how about some some good news for Ohio State that actually pertains to the upcoming CFP matchup, which is that several guys that were banged up there at the end of the regular season, you know, said that they are going to be hundred percent for the Peach Bowl. Obviously, we didn't talk to every player on the team, but. Mayan Williams, Mike Hall, and Cam Brown. We talked to all of those guys. All of them said that they expect to be healthy. I mean, that's pretty big news. Ohio State at running back obviously has lost Travion Henderson, who needs surgery on that foot. Mayan Williams, though. I mean, when Mayan Williams was healthy this season, guys, he looked pretty pretty darn good to me. It's just the fact that he literally was was rarely healthy in the back half of the season, right? And he still had some standout performances there late. Mike Hall, of course, you know, early on in the season, he was a, a one man wrecking crew for Ohio State on the defensive line. And, you know, we we heard more and more throughout the back half of the season that he just wasn't at 100 percent late. And then Cam Brown, I mean, he only played what in the first half against Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. He missed a lot of games as well this season. So, yeah, that's that's part of the reason why, I, you know, I, I wrote a that piece about how the Ohio State's 35 day layoff can really only benefit the Buckeyes because they're going to have a lot of pieces healthy now that they did not, you know, going into that final game in the regular season.
2: I would say my biggest takeaway was it was pretty remarkable how many of the 20 and it was pretty much all 20 essentially conveyed the message that they have a new outlook on life now or a new lease on life from a football standpoint, because, you know, they still are in contention to win a national championship, despite, you know the rough month that it's been for Ohio state and all the negativity that comes with a Michigan loss. And, you know, that's just the way it works at Ohio state. And yet they're in the college football playoff regardless. And, you know, they, they were really stressing that message. Of, hey, we, we still have all our goals in front of us. We still can win the national championship. This isn't a time to pout. This isn't a time to be sour. So, you know, if you read any message board of Ohio state website, ours included, you'll find a lot of disgruntled fans, but, In terms of the players itself, I thought that the mood seemed to be pretty dapper, considering that the last game they played, it didn't exactly meet their standards. So I just thought it was pretty telling that they're already trying to put the Michigan game behind them, even though it was the whole talking point for an entire year, the last time it happened a year ago, because... That essentially ended their season, even though they ended up playing in the Rose Bowl. Whereas this time around, they still have a chance at redemption in beating Georgia, and if they were to do that, play for a national championship. So I think that they're they they've already hit the reset button, and in the words of a Dan's favorite coach, Bill Belichick, it they're on to Georgia.
0: Yeah, and and that's what they have to do, right? Like, I mean, I you know, I think you know sometimes fans don't like it when they hear you know, players say that, you know, they've moved on from the Michigan game because that's, you know, it's supposed to be the most important game of the year, but like you're playing in the ultra ball playoff. Like you, 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 you've got to look ahead. Like they've, they've got to put that behind them. Like I'm sure that that game, regardless of what happens rest of the year is going to come up a lot in the off season. But for right now they have to just bury that and they have to focus on doing what they need to do to, to beat, to beat Georgia. And so, you know, certainly, you know, that, that, just a mindset. You know, I know that you know a lot of the players credited JT2 Mullaw with being somebody who really kind of helped them shift into that mindset because before their first practice of a week after the Michigan loss, he kind of gave a speech to the team, you know, about you know cont- continuing to have something to play for. And that seemed like it was something that really resonated with the team, you know, that following week. And then of course when you know Utah beat USC, I think that really kind of led to a, a wave of excitement and a and a, a refreshed sense throughout the team because you know they realized they were probably going to make the college football playoff and they were still going to have a chance to compete for that goal of winning a national championship and you know we'll 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 see what happens 10 days from now but certainly I think you know I certainly I think there's a sense of confidence within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center I think that you know they feel like you know they they are capable of playing a lot better than they played against Michigan. And that, you know, if they do that, that they're capable of beating anybody.
1: I should actually say that perhaps what interests me most in terms of what I actually sat and listened to in real time there was actually CJ Stroud kind of, I wouldn't say combative per se, but definitely a little bit irked by some of the criticism he heard, not only about himself, but really he, he kind of led, by defending Jackson Smith and Jigba against a lot of the criticism he received with his decision to opt out of the CFP, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty sure he didn't mention Todd McShay by name, but I think you know a lot of people have seen that clip from Todd McShay on ESPN where he was basically saying that NFL scouts told him that Smith and Jigba was actually healthy enough to play in the CFP but basically wanted to protect his draft stock. I know we've seen guys like Garrett Wilson come to the defense of Jackson Smith and Jigba on social media. And so I'm pretty certain you know, without knowing for sure that, that that's kind of what CJ Strauss was ref- referencing there and saying that, you know, no one knows what Jackson went through this season and that he's, he's not a bad teammate by any stretch of the imagination that he's, you know, been on the phone with CJ the whole time and, and still really invested in what this team does. He he, he threw in, you know, Trayvon Henderson's name as well as another guy that's, you know, not going to be playing in the Peach Bowl. But I think You know, when when you hear the details about Henderson requiring surgery and those things, I don't really know how you could kind of criticize Henderson for that decision. But I mean, there was certainly also some, you know, heat in there from Stroud about the the criticism about him, you know, and that was kind of one of those things after the Michigan game when CJ Stroud was asked to reflect on what his legacy would be at Ohio State and how fans would remember him. He was forthcoming and being like, well, listen, people are going to say I never won a Big Ten championship. And I never beat Michigan. And so, you know, it, that kind of is what it is. But I think since then, seeing more and more, you know, kind of angsty Ohio State fans criticizing CJ, you know, criticizing his, his not running as much as they want him to during games and things like that. He he referred to some of the criticism as unfair. And, uh, you know, one one comment in particular, he was like, you know, it's Ohio against the world, but we say it's the Woody against the world, which, you know, if you read between the lines there, you know, it's like. Man, some sometimes the fans the, the actual diehard Ohio State fans, particularly on social media, right, can be the, the cruelest ones of all in terms of the criticism and stuff like that. So, you know, those guys have to kind of insulate themselves from the outside noise, even coming from the people that you know care about the results of the team the most.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, and I've always said it like I I appreciate CJ Stroud's candor. Like I, I appreciate that CJ says what's on his mind and kind of gives us a an idea of what he's thinking and i think i think that rubs people the wrong way sometimes i i think you know we've kind of seen that over the past 2 years but you know i i think there's you know you know it's interesting because i think a lot of times people want people to be candid until they actually are candid and then when they are it's like well why did they say this you know you know it's you know and i think obviously from our perspective as as reporters like we always want guys to be candid because it's far more interesting when, you know, guys are honest and tell us what they're actually thinking than when they just parrot whatever the, the coach speak line of a week is. And so, you know, that's something that I really appreciate about CJ that, you know, I feel like we get to see the the real CJ, you know, I, you know, and it's not, you know, you know, it's not, not even specific to anybody at Ohio State, but just in general, like I think a lot of times guys we're just so media trained that you just kind of get you know guys saying whatever they think the right answer is but i think with cj we 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 get a lens into like who he is and, and what he's feeling and that's something i really appreciate and and i think too you know you, you know yeah maybe you know maybe fans might not necessarily appreciate a, a comment like that and and the insinuations with it, but I'm sure his teammates love hearing him go to bat for Jackson and Trey. And I I think you know the fact that he would you know really I think as impassioned as we've ever heard him when he was talking about Jackson and Trey and how much it you know makes him mad when he hears people say things about them. And and I think it is an important clarification that you made. But like I, I do think you're right. that. When he was talking about Jackson, I think that probably did stem from what McShay said, not necessarily what any fans said, but what McShay said, where he said that you know he was, you know, hearing from NFL scouts that Jackson could have could have played, and you know, I mean, that's you know all speculation, and a lot of times those things that NFL scouts tell the media are what they want people to hear because they're hoping a guy is going to fall down the board so their team can draft him. So you you always have to take those things with a grain of salt. But I think that probably did play a big part in why CJ felt the need to defend Jackson specifically.
2: Switching to a little bit of a lighter note, we've brought up Steele that the biggest news of the day was that he revealed that he was coming back for another season. But I thought the funniest moment of the day was when he was talking about he and his teammates watching the USC championship game together and former Ohio State safety Bryson Shaw was making some big plays and you know recovering a fumble and really being a pain in the side of Utah for the at least the first couple drives and Steele said that he and a few of Ohio State's teammates were mother effing him openly out loud when he was making that big plays. And I just thought off the top of my head, I was like, well, Steele, a lot of Ohio State fans are mother effing him for (laughs) the entirety of the 2021 season. So I I imagine that's going to be the prevailing thought on social media, but no, it was. Uh, and then besides Steele, like a couple other uh, players I listened in on were admitted to be anxious about watching the USC game. Like Paris Johnson in particular said he was watching it with his girlfriend and he was just like just sitting there like biting his nails like the first like. 10 minutes, and she was like, It's okay. And then after USC ended up going down, his girlfriend got very excited for him, and he turned into straight business like Paris mode afterward. He's like, All right, we're in, we're gonna make the most of this. And if I remember correctly, I think Dewan Jones said he couldn't even watch it after USC went up by two scores and then found out that they won, and he was on cloud nine too. So just kind of hearing, you know, because I know that a lot of Ohio State fans were watching that game and acting like it was an Ohio State game from a rooting standpoint. That was probably the most invested they've ever been in the USC-Utah game ever in their entire lives. And to hear that the players were kind of with the fans in that
1: regard was pretty amusing to me. Guys, how about Marvin Harrison Jr. as well? I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, usually guys don't necessarily come out and say after, you know, not winning a particular award, I deserve to win the award. But Marvin Harrison Jr., a humble guy, certainly confident though, and and certainly self-assured, you know, basically said, I felt like I was deserving to win the Belitnikoff Award, which of course went to Tennessee's Jalen Hyatt instead. That that was that was good. I mean, I, I wrote up a little piece on that, and that's certainly a guy that's going to be the front runner to win the award next year. But he also said that, you know, Zach Harrison posted a little thing on Instagram of Marvin Harrison Jr. working with the the monarch. You know, jugs machine type thing at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that same night after it was revealed that he hadn't won the Bolitnikov, And uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. was basically just like, no, 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 I wasn't, you know, there because of that or, you know, because the losing the award had fueled me more or anything. That's just what I do every single night. And if you've listened to what Buckeye coaches and teammates have said all season, that seems to be pretty true.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that even Marvin himself came out and said he thought he deserved to win the Bolitnikoff. Spoke to the fact that it was pretty shocking that he didn't win the Bolitnikov because you know Marvin's not necessarily a guy to you know brag on himself a ton. So like you said, very confident in himself, and I think that plays a big part in in how great of a player he is. But also not a guy who you know you think of some of you know maybe famous receivers who have been maybe described as divas over the years in the nfl marvin is the antithesis of that and so for for him to for him to come out and say he thought he deserved to to win the belitnikov you know i think echoes what a lot of people felt that as spectacular as he played this year did he deserve to win the belitnikov but as marvin also said he, he can't dwell on that because right now they've got bigger goals to accomplish, which is, of course, trying to win a national championship and, and trying to win a college ball playoff. And all three of us will be in Atlanta next week. So, starting Monday, we will all be there for a full week of coverage of Ohio State versus George and tons of coverage coming, of course, next week on 11 Warriors. And uh, Griffin and I will, of course, be back next week to record a full game preview podcast from atlanta so we'll really dive into all things ohio state versus georgia next week want to talk very quickly about ohio state men's basketball before we sign off here because griffin you were in new york city on saturday where ohio state played north carolina in its last big non-conference game of the year and a game that ohio state certainly had its chances to win the buckeyes were up by double digits in the second half, and then something that's kind of been a reputation of this team in the Chris Holtman era, that they were unable to sustain that big lead. North Carolina put the full court press on late in the game. Ohio State struggled to adjust to it, and it ended up being an overtime loss for the Buckeyes. And, you know, certainly, you know, again, not the first time we've seen this from a Buckeye team. I think the first time we really saw it this year, but we, we we have seen in the past that, you know, Ohio State teams have have struggled to finish games at times. And, you know, that was certainly what we saw on on Saturday where, you know, Ohio State really let a chance for a big non-conference win slip away.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ohio State, you felt it coming, right? Because North Carolina, Ohio State had that huge run in the first half. I think it was like an 18-2 to two run to, to go up. A 14 at one point on North Carolina. Then North Carolina starts to kind of, you know, flip the momentum back the other direction at the end of the first half. They come out hot in the second half, but Ohio State was making just enough plays to stay out in front. Then, as you mentioned, that full court press there, you know, which is an interesting, interesting thing because you don't see that a whole lot, you know, at this level of college basketball being particularly effective or like, you know, in the NBA or something like that because guys can can kind of break the press and, and you know, use their length and passing ability and stuff like that. But it was working really well for North Carolina. And then I thought really the, the story of how the game kind of finished was just Ohio State with these these late turnovers. They could they couldn't get stops when they needed to. But you know, uh, several turnovers, a couple on that that press there that turned into like the go ahead bucket late in the game for North Carolina. I don't think North Carolina had a lead in the second half until there was a minute and twenty nine seconds left in that game. But then still, Bryce sends the ball comes and hits that shot. You know, a very clutch shot at the end of the game to put Ohio State back up two. And I really thought that that was kind of Ohio State's last chance to to close it out because like I said, North Carolina was coming on so strong. Pete Nance, you know, the Northwestern transfer comes back from, you know, the, the Big Ten to, to haunt Ohio State there in that matchup, hitting that buzzer beater to tie the game to send it into overtime. And I feel like at that point, it kind of felt like, you know, North Carolina was going to take over. They pretty much did. Ohio State still had a chance, though, to, what was it, tie the game up? I think they were down three. And then Zev Key gets whistled for a travel. So they're tying in there with the, the, the late turnovers theme that kind of shot Ohio State in the foot. And then as a result, Ohio State drops out of the top 25 for the first time in about three weeks. Now they were 23 now unranked. And they I think they were like the, the seventh most
0: team to receive votes outside of the top 25. You mentioned Bryce Sensabaugh scoring 22 points to lead the Buckeyes at North Carolina, still the team's leading scorer. Is he already Ohio State's best player?
1: He might be. And I think, you know, particularly as the season keeps going, right? Because you know, he he continues to look more and more comfortable. I mean, just just compare his late game play there with, between the Rutgers game, right? When they drew up that play for him that was similar to the EJ Liddell play against Duke or whatever it was the last year. And, you know, he gets he ends up getting blocked on that play. This play wasn't completely dissimilar to that in terms of the, the type of shot he ended up getting off. Ends up hitting it there late in the game. And the thing is, when you talk about Ohio State's best players, I still just don't believe that the justice suing, at least for what he's shown so far. Is going to be consistent enough for Ohio State. He had a great game against North Carolina, especially in the first half, and made some plays late. But just the, with the consistency, it's just not quite there. Bryce Sensible has been more consistent in terms of an offensive producer for Ohio State so far, and you know Zed Key as well. Not his you know best game. He did have that big three there late in that one. But when Zed Key's been on this year, he's been really good. When Justice Sewing has been on this year, he's been really good. But Bryce Sensible might actually be a, a little more consistent. I feel like in what you get out of him from game to game than either of those guys.
0: Yeah. I think I'd probably say like, if I'm just going best all around most complete player right now, I'd probably still lean toward Zed, but I think Bryce is right there. And I think certainly in terms of best scorer, best pure scorer, I I think Bryce has become that already for his team. You know, I think mean, defensively, you know, he's, he's not as consistent as he is offensively. So I think, you know, he's still got a lot of room to grow on the defensive side of a ball. But I, I think as a scorer, you know, he really is becoming that go-to guy for them, you know, really kind of having a Malachi random like rise for Ohio State. And I think, you know, he he might be the guy really that, you know, you get into the, the stretch of a season, you know, Big Ten play and 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 beyond. He, he might be the guy they really need to lean on to be that go-to scorer for them. If they're going to be able to you know, have success this year.
1: Yeah. And I looked it up the other day. Bryce Sensabaugh is right now on pace to be the first true freshman to lead Ohio State in scoring since D'Angelo Russell, which is kind of a cool stat, that being eight years ago. But now when you look at the schedule for the Buckeyes, you know, all the, all the high-profile non-conference games are out of the way. Only Maine and Alabama AM and m to go before Ohio State gets back into their Big Ten gauntlet starting, you know, in, in the new year on, on January 1st. So now when you look back at kind of Ohio State's non-conference run here, they get that that nice win over, at the time, a top 25 Texas Tech team. They blow out Cincinnati, but then losses to San Diego State, Duke, and North Carolina. I mean, the the thing is, when you're looking at some of, some of these losses for Ohio State, they're they they were all close games. There was only one double digit loss, and even that one was only 11 points, and it was single digits. You know, a few minutes before the end of that one, anyway. But I think out of those three, you would have liked to see Ohio State maybe get one of those because they were all close games, especially the North Carolina game, which they kind of let slip.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think. If if Ohio State was 8-2 and two right now with a win over any of San Diego State, Duke, or UNC, I, I think the resume would look a lot better than it does right now. That's not to say that the resume looks horrible right now, but I think you look at it, I mean, there's really, I'd say, one really good win in, in Texas Tech. And, you know, otherwise you know i i think it's just okay and so i think you know you, you think ahead to a couple a few months from now in in march when when resumes are being compared you know i you know i think ohio state's non conference resume will be fine but it's not anything that's going to elevate ohio state so it's just going to make it that much more important for ohio state to be strong in the non or in the conference portion of the season and they will have a chance though, like we mentioned, to to pad that
1: record with two more projected blowout wins against Maine and Alabama AM coming up before the new year. And also it should, you know, potentially allow Eugene Brown and Isaac Likely, who have both dealt with issues of you know different degrees there, to potentially come back and for Ohio State to have its deepest lineup of the season by the time they take on Northwestern when Big Ten play
0: resumes on New Year's Day. Well, Garrick, want to thank you for joining us this week to talk all things recruiting. Always great to have you on the show, and I'm sure it will have you back on again in the near future. And we'll all, we'll all see you from Atlanta next week. We are looking forward to a full week of Peach Bowl coverage. So we hope that you all will, will follow along on 11warriors.com and, and join us again on Real Pod Wednesdays next week.